Hello and welcome to another episode of the Hague Diplomacy Podcast. My name is Elon Madhavji and I will be your host. Now, uh, before we start today, I just want to thank you all for listening and cover one little piece of housekeeping. Since we've last released an episode, it's been a little while, a minor hiatus. We've actually passed the 100 and 150 subscriber mark, which I am very, very proud of everyone uh, with the team in The Hague and myself. We just want to take a moment to thank everyone who uh, has listened and has thought, hey, I want to listen to this again. And so if, if you find that you're, you're listening today and think, hey, this was really cool and interesting and I want to come back for more, please do subscribe because it really lets us know that we're doing the right thing. And just for me personally, it's been an immense experience uh, being able to do this. And it's also really rewarding to see that, yeah, we're, we're perhaps provoking ideas and, 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 and raising some thoughts. So thank you so much. Now, today uh, on this auspicious occasion, we have, I think, a topic that is very typically of the Hague Journal of Diplomacy. We'll be talking about diplomatic gifts. That's the episode you clicked on. And, you know, on the surface, I can imagine you can probably piece together a little bit, you know, what a, what a diplomatic gift is. Perhaps on TV, you've seen heads of state meet each other and exchange an artifact or a gift. Maybe if you've had time or the opportunity to visit your own national parliament or an international organization like the United Nations in Geneva or New York, you've seen artifacts around the building, uh, or even maybe depending where you're from, there's a, a statue somewhere in a public square donated by another country. And of course, we know the story of the Trojan horse and of the Statue of Liberty, both very famous, if not the most famous diplomatic gifts. So it's not really my goal today to explain to you what a diplomatic gift is, because we need to go kind of beyond the surface here and think about it a little deeper. What are diplomatic gifts really trying to achieve? Is it trying to convey identity? Or are we talking about messages of power and status and wealth? What's the role of culture? Does that matter when opposing cultures or intertwining cultures engage in gift giving? And ultimately, what is the outcome of this diplomatic practice? How does it affect relationships? And of course, as with many of these issues we talk about, we come down ultimately to the question of why does it matter? Now, I, thankfully for all of us, will not be alone in this quest. I have a very special guest who, as I was mentioning to him before, has perhaps thought about diplomatic gifts more than most people. Professor Jörg Kunstmanns, thank you so much for joining us today. Jörg is a professor at the Department of Political Science at the University of Antwerp and very recently was a guest editor for the Hague Journal of Diplomacy's Forum on Diplomatic Gifts. And he himself also wrote a piece for that called Gift Giving in Byzantine Diplomacy, which maybe alludes to some of his particular interests. But Jörg, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you, Ilan, for having me uh, at your podcast. I'm very um, excited about it, actually, to be talking to you. Thank you. Thank you. So instead of, you know, just taking the obvious question and asking you, what is a diplomatic gift? I, I think uh, I, I'd like to start with something else because in, in you know, academic and practical study, diplomacy is a very particular corner of the library of international relations. And diplomatic gifts is an even more particular shelf in that corner. So I just kind of want to know from you, why did you go looking on that shelf? What was it about this topic that made you think, okay, actually, we need to look at this a little more closely. It's, uh, it's an interesting question, actually. There's two, there's two ways of, of answering that question. <laughs> they both apply to me, actually. 
sometimes a fear that I like to dabble in sort of exotic uh, topics, right? For fear of policy relevance. Because if you have policy relevance, you have to speak out on these subjects, you know, and you have to try to be, uh, you have to try to say something meaningful. But, you know, when you say something meaningful about a, a current issue, there's just a chance that you have an impact on the world. And if you think about more exotic uh, subjects, then, you know, there's less of a chance to have an impact on the world and less of a chance to cause harm to the world, so to speak. So that is that is one possibility. But there is a maybe a more um, serious uh, answer too, and that is that I came to diplomatic gifts not directly by being interested in in gifts or being fascinated by particular gifts and then trying to understand them as you began your introduction right by saying look there is the the statue of liberty and and do you know that this diplomatic gifts how that that this diplomatic gift how interesting that is a diplomatic gift what can we learn about this gift but I actually came to gifts in a different way um, and that is um, by way of of social theory so I'm, I'm I'm a bit of a theorist, and I had uh, read an essay by a very famous uh, French sociologist, uh, anthropologist uh, Marcel Mauss, uh, and that essay was named "Essai sur le don," so essay on the gift, and that is where I first learned about the about gifts, what gifts were, right? And it is through that I. That Theoretical idea that, that at that moment that I then turned to diplomatic gifts because I'm studying international relations. Say, okay, do diplomatic gifts uh, perform uh, a similar role potentially, or do they operate differently than what uh, Marcel Mauss was describing in his essay? Yeah, so the, that's that's a very interesting personal but also academic take on how how you link those together. And I think you've touched on the theme that we're probably going to touch on a couple times now, which is that. It's that that glue, right? That diplomatic gift that connects one to another. And that's what I found so interesting when I first dove into the topic, reading the works uh, of yourself and everyone else in the forum. I was kind of interested on how, how that actually works, that connection, that bridge building sometimes. So my mind immediately jumped to the idea of culture. I think that it's perhaps a very obvious one. And that's why I think maybe a lot of people might be sort of curious how that works when in a traditional diplomatic setting, whether it's one state to another or a state to an organization, when one tries to convey some sort of cultural message to the other, I'm curious how that plays a role in that glue, in that bond. What is the function of that type of gift? That's very much in diplomatic gift giving today, right? Where you give a gift that expresses your say, national identity that refers back to your uh, national history somehow and that then you you give that part of yourself uh, to the other and you try to impress that other um, with, with, with that element of national identity of which you are proud. Um, with state visits, when there is a, a banquet and, 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 and people are dining together, typically on the menu uh, will be national dishes, right? And, and, and that's I think it's that's what it looks like today, oftentimes. But I'm not sure that that is how one ought to start thinking about diplomatic gifts uh, if one wants to understand that sol solidarity creating function of, uh, of gift giving. So if you look at the, well, the origins uh, of diplomatic gift giving, although I'm, I'm hesitant about, about that expression, 
then there's, there's two ways, right? One is like, okay, the historical origins as far as we know, right? And then the er in the earliest example that I could find myself, right, where it has been documented by historians that diplomatic gifts were being exchanged, it was in the in the ancient Near East and roughly say the, the 14th, 13th century uh, before the Common Era. And there were a number of polities um, that were in regular contact with one another. So a diplomatic system could, could emerge. But what they exchanged were not gifts that expressed the, the, the particular identity of each polity, but they were objects uh, that have been described by one by one historian as um, object, objects in an international style. Right? So there, so there was a, an international style that was common to these various um, courts, to these various palaces, and that is what they exchanged uh, among each other, right? So, so confirming in a way that they belonged to a, to a special group and that they belonged to get, that they had shared membership in that special group. But there was nothing. It was not a particular national style, national. I mean, a bit anachronistic, but it was a international style, a cosmopolitan style uh, that they that they developed. That is one one way. Uh, that that's why I push back a little against this idea that that um, that it's about national identities and expressing a national identity. Another another aspect, if I can continue, but I uh, I can continue endlessly. So so maybe you want to channel me a little. Uh, so. Well, you know, I I just want to break in and say that that's perfect. That pushback is perfect because I think. There's a reason that I started with culture. I think that that's maybe, as you said, that's the 21st century example. That's what many people listening would probably argue is the lowest hanging fruit. And I think it's great that, you know, to, to mention that, but then work back and say, well, actually, no, there's something that happened before that was different. And you mentioned the word solidarity, an important word, and an international forum that had its own sort of sense of communication and sense mm -hmm. of identity almost. And there was some sort of a, a, a gift currency, if you will, that was understood between everyone. And that's interesting because when I when I look now to today, right, that's not necessarily always the case. I think it's really interesting that, you know, when we look at the roots of, of diplomatic gifts and where it came from, that there already at the time was an understanding that this is not about me or where I am from and trying to give that to someone else, but it's I want to already engage on a level that is understood to support that level. Yeah, but but I would add, so so I agree, but I, I would add that, but there's a, there's a there's another story that one that I could have told, right? Again, pushing back against the idea of, of culture being a shared culture or, or, or a particular culture being expressed. And that is, if you would, if you would think of the, of the beginning in terms of, of first encounters, right? And this is a, a bit of a trope in international theory as well, right? When uh, in the moment of first encounter, then you need to negotiate how you will uh, deal with one another. And from that first negotiation, uh, a whole system of meaning emerges and, and a pattern of interaction. But if you, if you, if you think about first encounters, and actually in the forum, um, there is a short essay on, on colonial encounters, right? Where you would have people, um, the English in, in this particular case, uh, traveling um, into the African continent and then meeting with uh, local leaders there and not, not sharing a vocabulary, not sharing a cultural framework, 
right? But you have something very similar, actually, in, uh, I was just reading this great novel. It's, it's a bit voluminous, but still it's, it's great nonetheless by um, Thomas Mann called um, Joseph and his brothers, right? And it's, uh, it, it, it tells the story of Joseph and, and his brothers. It retells the story of Joseph, Joseph and his brothers as it appears in the Old Testament. And, um, and there it's interesting how I also had a first encounter, so to speak, between nomadic tribes that were roaming about um, the space, let's say, the environment. And then they would meet or reach a more established uh, sedentary a city, a settlement, right? And then they would have to, they would have to come into interaction with that settlement. Right? And in both cases, so in the, in the case of the colonial encounter and in the case of the Old Testamentic story, what happens is that the first thing that happens is that the, the, the party that reaches the more settled party, right? so the British that reach, let's say, the African ruler, the nomads that reach the, more, the, the city, they send an envoy and that envoy carries with him or her in these both cases, him, he carries with him gifts, right? What happens here is not so much solidarity as trust, right? It's a very dangerous situation, right? You're not sure what will happen. You know that these things can go terribly wrong, right? You know that, that violence can ensue if, if it is not handled carefully. And the first step in trying to handle it carefully is offering gifts, showing that you're well-intended, showing that you come in peace, uh, so to speak. Okay, so uh, thank you for offering that 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 plan B, that that B road, because both are very important. Uh, and I'm I, I'd be curious to hear what you have to say about this. Both are still, in a way, very relevant to today, right? Because solidarity is still very much so a goal trying to be achieved by many diplomatic gifts, as is trust building, right? And and that maybe brings me to an aspect of your work that I, I found very interesting, which is this comparison between hierarchical and egalitarian gifts, which, which basically, as I understand it, comes down to gifts within a framework of some sort of a power disparity mm-hmm. and gifts within a framework of equality. And mm-hmm. uh, to put it in layman's terms, this could perhaps come in the form of you know gifts between friends versus gifts between maybe enemies, but maybe someone who is subject to uh, some sort of a imbalance with someone else, someone who relies on someone else. So perhaps there's also elements of solidarity in that, trying to maintain a relationship, maintain uh, a common culture, but perhaps there's also a level of trust that's trying to be achieved sometimes in these settings, or maybe beyond trust, um, maybe you're trying to curry favor in a way or impress how does that translate now to the more modern setting uh, with these themes where you still have hierarchical and egalitarian gifts, yeah. uh, but in the modern setting, what's, what's the difference here? What changed? I think that the, I think I, I should refer to, to an article in the forum actually at this point that you know, listeners can, can, can potentially check if, if they want to follow up on it. They don't, they don't have to, because I will talk about it. Um, but there is a, uh, an analysis that uh, Eileen Kurlemans made. So she's a fellow national of me, and she didn't, that doesn't matter much, but still, uh, she did a, an analysis of um, how the Chinese 
government is today, how the Chinese government today is doing gift exchange and how other countries are participating in that gift exchange. And it was very noticeable how the Chinese do gift giving differently when they are engaging um, a peer, let's say, right? So when it is uh, another sort of major country, say Russia or India or the United States of America, versus when China is um, engaging a smaller state, right? Uh, a potential or actual subordinate state, right? And in the first case, when China is engaging a peer, uh, Elena, she, 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 she named that, that form of gift giving convivial gift giving. So there is still the orchestration of, of a particular mood, but it's, 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 meant to be, it's meant to be pleasant. It's like almost as though we're personal friends and the, the leaders are personal friends. And, and part of that, having a good time together, is exchanging uh, a, particular, a, a personal gift almost. Uh, something that, that is a bit funny sometimes as well, right? But when that same country, China, is engaging uh, smaller states, subordinate states, then the gift giving will be, will be totally different. And Elena called it ceremonial giving, right? Because it will be in a totally different way where there will be a lot of gravitas and where the gift that, gifts that are being exchanged are, they are meant to impress the recipient. Right, so the, the image that is being projected—it's not partly this cultural identity, right? Sort of ancient Chinese heritage that is that is put on display, but there's also simply the the the, the element of power, but then power as generosity. Look what they look what they are willing to share with us. Look what we are willing to share with you, right? So that is very very clear on display. Um, well, according to Aline's analysis in any case, but I, but I think she, she makes a couple of good observations there. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And the first thing I wanna do now is push you further on this because we, I, I, I fully understand, I, I follow you on the dynamic of China being a great power going to a country that is not so. And yeah, trying to impress upon them, not only their, yeah, some sort of a, a might or opulence, but also, yeah, there, there is a gen generous aspect. But what about the other way around? What about from the country the, or the state or the head of state representing the lesser than, quote unquote, the considered lesser than towards the great power? What is their okay. gift trying to convey? Okay, that's that that that's that's interesting. So, and talking about China, um, there was not really a choice on the part of the subordinate polity, what to give, right? That did research uh, that was published in Chinese Journal of International Politics on Persian diplomatic gift giving and Qing China diplomatic gift giving. And, in, and they are both imperial systems, right? They were both imperial systems. And so the gifts that they received were from formally slash informally subordinate polities. And in both cases, the subordinate polity could not decide itself uh, which gift which gift it would it would give, but there were rules that specified that they, uh, other than the tax tribute, right, they were supposed to um, to offer to the Chinese emperor, to the Persian emperor, right? and and they were in those cases they were produce that, that was local, 
right? And then the Chinese emperor and Persian emperor amassed all of these local products. And by amassing all of these local products, um, they could uh, show to the world, uh, to the visitors, uh, that they were having this wide, territorially wide empire so that they could, could, could brag about this in this way. But that, so that was very much rule governed. I think today it is, it is less rule governed, much less rule governed. And so you see much more strategic behavior by subordinate states. And here, uh, Paul Brumel's uh, contribution to the forum is, is quite interesting. He has documented the gifts that the, the United States president has received uh, from various other states. I will not say subordinate states because they're not always formally subordinate, but still other lesser states, clearly lesser states than the, than the US is. Lesser in terms of might, not in terms of intellectual achievement or, or whatever, obviously. Right? And 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 there you see that it is, it depends. So it's it's clearly an act of communication, right? They want to communicate how they feel about the relationship or how they would want the relationship to evolve, right? And so sometimes um, they will they will make reference, they will create an object of art and they will make reference to their long-standing shared relationship, right? But sometimes also they will sort of try to be a bit, I don't know, ironical or cynical, or try to sort of sort of kick, not kick, kick against the, the shins of the United States. That would be a bit much and it would go, but still sort of sub, subliminally communicate that they're not too happy with, with, with US power. You see that today there's more room for, for, for agency, Right for strategic action for communicating. Yeah, so it, it's it's interesting how that. Yeah, you're right in that in this modern era, uh, there is more space for that, and I think that the state to state relationship is, of course, maybe the natural place to study that. But I wanted mm-hmm. to maybe take that same idea and translate it over to how states interact with the multilateral system, because I find that. In that space, there's also seemingly been some, as you would call it, room for strategic intention. There are pieces in the journal that allude to this that talk about, you know, relationships between, you know, state gift giving and the United Nations, for example. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. what strikes me really immediately, actually, about a lot of these examples is that gifts can take really interesting forms. And it's not always something I would hand you and you would hand me, but sometimes it can be in the form of uh, donations and mm-hmm. hosting duties and almost favors, it feels like, in addition to very grandiose uh, sculptures and objects. And in the case of what I find immensely interesting at the UN headquarters in Geneva, there's literal just entire rooms that have been, quote unquote, gifted by a state. Mm-hmm. When we talk about this state to multilateral organization sort of dynamic are the goals different there are the is the strategy we're talking about different when we talk about state to multilateral organization yeah I, I i'm not sure it depends a little on what what you take to to have to be the goals in state to state diplomatic giving and if i see one similarity so it's not so much it cannot be about creating trust like what we talked about. Um, I would neither say that it's about making 
well, making an impression maybe more. But what I think, if you want to see a similarity, and I'm sometimes driven to want to see similarities, although I know since Thomas Hobbes that the really wise person sees differences rather than similarities only. Um, but if you want to see similarities, I think that if you contribute um, a, uh, to the decoration of a room or if you finance the decoration of a room. So that's clearly a, dip, a, a gift, right? It's, dip, it's a gift of a state or international organization. I think what is put on display is, is generosity in a way, right? That you are, uh, it's, it's your contribution and you know that without your contribution, uh, this thing would not exist. So that is one, one element where I see similarity. Um, the other aspect that I would maybe mention is that what you do by donating a gift that can be put on display or that constitutes a display in and of itself, right? Is you, you make yourself present beyond your physical presence, right? This was also in, in, in the stuff that I studied myself in uh, um, Byzantine diplomatic gift giving. The gifts that Byzantium gave to subordinate states were oftentimes gifts that will be uh, put on display in the receiving country, right? And this literally put on display. And so what this putting on display does is that beyond, beyond the ritual occasion at which the gift would have been offered, right? And where Byzantine authority would be very tangible, right? And very, very, it would become very real. But what the gift does is it that the authority of the of the Byzantines traveled with the gifts to the place um, uh, where it was brought and where it would be hung on a, on a wall if it were a, a decorated carpet or, or whatever, right? So that is, and I think that happens also in international organizations, right? Because you give, uh, say, uh, a painting or you decorate a room and it will be known, right? Because it will, will be a little plague, right? Saying that country X or Y um, gave this particular sculpture or decorated this particular room. And so beyond the moment at which you show yourself generous, you're remembered materially, right, as a, as a generous country. Now, when, when, you, when, when you talk about the more um, intangible gifts, right, say uh, giving good offices, right, or uh, those kind of things, I think, I think that what you're, what you're getting from this is, is reputation, and, and in particular, reputation as, as a country that is committed to, to system maintenance, right? Where you say, look for international politics to work. And we all know that international politics is, is a dangerous setting, you know, and there's a lot of potential for violence. And so we need, we need a system, right? Uh, to make this work a bit more, a bit more pleasantly, right? And by offering um, such intangible gifts, by offering your services, so to speak, you say, look, we are dedicated. We are, we are a good country. We, we are dedicated to, to the system, uh, the diplomatic system uh, on which uh, peaceful international relations depend. That, that's how I think, how I might think about these issues. Yes, I, I think maybe you and... Lorraine Sievers uh, might have a lot to talk about here. Lorraine Sievers actually wrote uh, a, a piece for the forum uh, entitled Purposes, Politicization, and Pitfalls of Diplomatic Gift-Giving to the United Nations. And 
unbeknownst to us, we've touched on a lot of the topics she she mentions. And one of her concluding uh, sort of ideas is the last thing you talked about, which is sort of reaffirming commitment to this idea of the international community. Uh, I believe she she calls it community building. Can I can I can I just step in for one second? Do you know what I think is interesting about her piece as well? Is something very um, mundane that diplomatic gifts do. Diplomatic gifts to international organizations. She she writes about art and and she says one way in which it builds community is simply by hanging there or standing there and having uh, diplomats gather around them and then having a conversation about how they judge the aesthetic qualities of, of the gift. And as a topic of conversation, it's extremely, it's much more mundane as, as the kind of ideas that maybe I was uh, plugging a couple of, a couple of uh, seconds ago, but maybe it's more, it's more real <laughs> for that reason, precisely. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So it's community building on a couple levels, right? Also interpersonal. Yeah. You and I can look at this tapestry uh, or these, you know, golden doorknobs donated by the U.S. and, and yeah. talk about them if we want. Uh, but also at the same time, she talks about these, yeah, these states. In a way, it reminds me a little bit of what we talked about of, of the beginning about about solidarity, the sort of committing mm-hmm. to this international plane in a. Uh, a language or a medium that is understood by everyone, you know, and what's, what's really interesting is that the aesthetic aspect, which you're touching on just the the quality of a piece of art as a piece of art, Mm -hmm. sometimes even completely disassociated from who donated it. That's one side to it. And then there's almost a functional side because in the same building, it's not only art pieces that are donated, but it's actual, as I mentioned, doorknobs, doors, it's, marble pillars and it's structures entirely so it's it's a really interesting combination of interaction between individuals and the space around them literally in an aesthetic sense but also in this community building aspect so yeah i i just find that such an interesting side to this discussion and i i want to now take it somewhere else in the sense that when we often talk about, you know, and, and Lorraine talks about this in her piece, she touches on the ethics of this, right? So is it, because in the beginning with the United Nations in New York, she, she mentions that it was, quote unquote, Western countries who were doing most of the gift giving. You know, the, the United Nations, this new bastion for international commonwealth would mm-hmm. now be representing some sort of a combination of Western ideology being, you know, imposed upon everyone else. Mm-hmm. So there is some there is some sort of a, a risk or danger that people have been worried about, that have been concerned about who's giving the gift and, and, and where does it get placed and how prominent is it? And then in addition to that, you also have the, the maybe more traditional side, as you may know that as someone working at an embassy, for example, uh, there's a certain value. There's actually a cap for many embassies on the value of gift you are allowed to receive and you are allowed to give. So I find that interesting because that 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 implies some limit on what's acceptable or what's almost like what's almost fair almost in terms of gift giving and receiving. So what is this ethical side of this? What does that teach us about how we perceive these diplomatic gifts? I, I mentioned in the very beginning of our, of our talk that Marcel Mauss was a sort of major inspiration for me, right? And one of the sort of framings of 
this um, essay is that we have lost our appreciation of the value of, of gift exchange, that we've, got, that we've become skeptical of gift exchange somehow. And I think that the reason is that gift giving got to be um, associated with corruption, right? That gift giving got to be associated with, with being bright. And you were not supposed to be bright, right? Because if you're bright, that means that you will no longer, as an envoy, right? Because who gives the gift? Uh, it's an envoy. These days, oftentimes, it's, it's, it's the politician or the, or the leader, him, him, him or herself, but it used to be an envoy. And then the idea was if you receive a gift, you can no longer be trusted to, um, to serve the interests of your, of your principal, if you will, right? Of the person who sent you to, to negotiate, because there's this idea that you will be um, serving the interests uh, of those that you received the gift from. These days, if you're a leader, right? And you received the gift yourself, then the, then then you then you're still thought of as an as an as an agent as an envoy because you're acting on behalf of your people, right? And you're supposed to have the interests of your people in mind, of your own state in mind. And the idea is that if you receive gifts directly and that if you keep them for yourself, um, that then you will no longer serve the interests of those that you're supposed to to serve. So it's a fear of corruption. Uh, actually, uh, that is very much uh, in there. Um, it's interesting. Um, I was reading uh, Obama's uh, the first volume of his of his memoirs uh, recently, and he he describes how when he arrived in, I think it was Saudi Arabia, and and uh, he entered his hotel room after a hard days. Let's 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 assume a hard days uh, of work. Uh, that there were gifts uh, sitting. Uh, sitting there for him. And then he heard that all of his staff had received uh, similar gifts as well. And they cannot, uh, I mean, they will take them home with them because they will not give an affront, but they will never, they cannot keep them in, in, in private possession because the United States government at a certain point in time uh, decided that it, that it was a bad idea uh, for, for diplomats, for politicians to receive gifts because it will uh, corrupt them basically. So I think that's the that's the origin. Uh, they can they can they can keep very minor gifts. I think it's up until one hundred and fifty worth one hundred and fifty dollars. Uh, some so not very much, <laughs> uh, I would say. Yeah. So I I think actually even with the U.S. I think that there's a there's an official government office dedicated purely to. Yeah. Diplomatic gift giving and the protocols thereof, and uh, they even wrap the gifts, I believe, as well for for the president. And I mean, there there must be some archive somewhere with incredible treasures of of, of lands far away. Uh, yeah. would be it's just funny to think about that. That's just sitting there. But yeah, th I, I, this is an interesting side to it. I think that um, in a way, it maybe implies like the fact that we give so much concern to gifts and its corrupting power shows perhaps how powerful they are, how influential they can actually be, and the sway that they actually have over us almost in an individual interpersonal way. This is, you know, you can strip away uh, the fanfare of it and, and simply say, yeah, you know, on an individual to individual basis, gifts can be influential. Yeah, I think that, I mean, if I think about my, my personal life, if, if somebody gives me 
anything, right? A gift, right? I do, I feel, I feel gratitude, right? Even if I do not like the person very much, still I feel gratitude. And I feel, I feel that I should reciprocate somehow, that I should return the favor. And, and that is a, a very powerful social psychological dynamic, right? That, that one, 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 I think it's unreasonable to assume that we are so fully rational that we can escape the, the lure of the gift, if you will. I think we're beholden to the gift uh, very easily. Yeah, and, and it goes beyond the gift. I think it's it's not only the gift, it's the perhaps how you're received, the ceremonial aspect. Uh, you talked about oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you talked about food and dinners. That's a whole episode in and of itself. It's everything that perhaps gives you that feeling of, oh, they're doing something for me and I should do something back, maybe. Yeah, I guess it, I guess it is, uh, I mean, maybe this is too much uh, pop psychology, but still I think it is, there's, there's some real truth. If, if, they, if people make you feel special, you feel special, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> oh my God, that, oh my God, they treat me so well. <laughs> now, that, now that we've kind of touched on a couple sides of the topic of diplomatic gifts, um, mm-hmm. Maybe now we can take a moment to speak directly to the listener, because if you can imagine, there's a few people listening who are probably students at a certain level of their academic career, maybe doing research. Maybe there's a young professional working in an embassy. Uh, Perhaps there's a government official or someone who's just kind of interested about this. This is a very interesting topic, but I would imagine there might be a criticism from some saying, why does this matter? Like, well, what's what's like? we should only be concerning ourselves with issues of, of high politics or something that's a little more tangible. Why does someone listening uh, need to care about this? What, what can they take away from this conversation and perhaps integrate back into their work or into their life or into their conversation? What ideas are we trying to spark? Okay. At first, I, I, I need, to, need to tell a very short anecdote to, to, um, to show the validity of your question, the importance of your question. So I, I gave an interview a couple of weeks back on, um, on Belgian radio about a painting that um, Angelina Jolie had bought. And the painting apparently was a gift, a personal gift, I should say, not a diplomatic gift of Churchill um, to Roosevelt, right? In the context of the Second World War. And um, so I was interviewed and then the interview appeared online on the website of the radio station and I shared it with my father, right? And then we were in touch a couple of days later on the telephone and, um, and I said, did you, did you listen to the, to the um, recording of the interview? And he said, uh, yes, I did, but surely that is not, the, that is not what you do for, for your work, right? Surely you write about more important stuff. <laughs> So, so just to say that, that um, um, there's pl- there will be plenty of people sharing this skeptical um, um, question that you that you put to me. So why does it matter? So what, uh, as they say? I think there's two elements that I would that I would like to that I would like to emphasize um, to to stick to stick by my decision to to start studying it at one point and writing about it. The first element is that, uh, and this is something that came out very clearly across the forum, not, so not in particular contributions, but across the forum, there is great um, diversity uh, across countries about how much they care about 
diplomatic gifts, about gift giving in general, right? Everybody that, that, that has some intercultural experience uh, will know that in some cultural settings, um, bringing a gift with you uh, when you meet a person is extremely important. And in other cultural settings, you know, it's people don't care, or at least not about material gifts, because there will be gifts of more, more intangible quality, probably always. Um, and I think the same applies, this, this cultural diversity applies to diplomatic gift giving in the 21st century. So I think that there are a number of countries that value gift giving highly, right? And so if you are a diplomat or, or an aspiring diplomat in a country that cares less about diplomatic gift, about gift exchange in general, know that some of your counterparts will care about it greatly, right? And, and, and so it will be important to, to be familiar with the idea of diplomatic gift giving, with the practice of diplomatic gift giving, because you will have to practice it or you will have to relate to it in any case. And you do not want to upset the relationship by not, not knowing about it um, and not having any affinity for it. So that is the first uh, part. And then the, the second part that I would emphasize is that I think that the I think that the solidarity enhancing function of, of gift exchange is may, has maybe become less important than it used to be. And I think that the reason is that we live in a in an extremely dense in a in a world in which there is an extremely dense um, institutional context in which states operate, right? And so the solidarity enhancing function of gift exchange I think has become slightly less important. But I do think that there's still many situations, more particular situations, where, where there is distrust, right? I mean, I could, I could make reference. I'm not sure if I should do, because I think that, that it's not very good. But, but I mean, the, the conflict between Israel and the Palestinians has erupted again, right? As, as everybody that, that is listening will know. So it's just an indication that there, is, that there are still pockets of serious distrust um, today. And I think that this trust, trust uh, enhancing function of gift exchange is something that is to be that is to be appreciated and that is to be learned and that probably it would be good to 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 apply it right in these not it, it's not first encounters but but first re-encounters if you will I think that gift giving gifts exchanging gifts um, receiving gifts giving gifts back. Um, could be extremely uh, an extremely useful thing to do. Yeah, I, I think those are two very good summarizing points. And if I may be so bold as to maybe just add a third, perhaps for our more uh, exotic academic minds such as yourself, one thing that, you know, if I were to dive back into research again or write another thesis on a topic like this, I think that diplomatic gifts forms an interesting tile in the mosaic of soft power and public diplomacy and nation branding. I think that it's a really interesting facet that I know it's a bit of a fallacy to say that it matters because it is, and therefore it matters, but best mm-hmm. so much in gifts and they think about them so much. And like we said, in the United States, there's an actual department dedicated to this. Mm-hmm. And there's a reason for that because apparently countries care about this. They want to express something of value with this. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, extrapolates to the larger discussion of how do states 
posture themselves towards publics, towards other states, and towards multilateral institutions. And as people interested in that world, I think it's important that we are sensitive to that. And this is a, as far as I'm concerned, a really interesting, although niche, but really interesting aspect of that of that puzzle. Um, if I don't, if that would be fair to say. It is. It is. I agree completely with what, what you were saying. It, and also that this niche. So I, I began by saying that that I'm that I fancy exotic subjects, and you ended by confirming that it's an exotic subject. Yeah, and, and honestly, that's these are the ones I have most fun doing are the exotic ones because mm-hmm. we maybe mm-hmm. don't think about these too much. But um, I think that's a that's a fitting end to the discussion. Um, I think hopefully, if anyone's gotten to the end of this episode, uh, they will have you know scratched the itch that they came for, whether it's understanding what diplomatic gifts actually are in practice, uh, what they mean below the surface, what they're trying to convey, and how they take shape in different settings. I I hope you were able to touch on that. I think that there's much to take away, as you mentioned. So hopefully this inspires uh, some further thought. Maybe you might have some new uh, research students, York, on your end as a result of this. But um, I want to thank you for taking the time to think with me and, and share your thoughts on this. And also the work you put in for the journal and for the, the forum is fantastic. It's an incredible read. I recommend anyone who wants to know about some of the topics we even referenced, but even more to check out the forum essays on diplomatic gifts with the Hague Journal of Diplomacy. And for the rest, uh, thank you so much, Jörg. Thanks. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Ian. It's been a, it's been a joy. And to everyone listening, thank you so much for tuning in and uh, we will we will see you next time.